0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Today, we're wrapping up a series we've been calling Love Handles. If this is your first week listening, you might want to go back and listen to the last couple weeks because we're not talking about the love handles that you have from those couple extra pounds. We're talking about how love handles the different aspects of our marriage vows forsaking all others till death do us part. That's the end of almost every wedding vow. Even when people write their own vows, they often end with till death do us part. Let's look at how a God-honoring marriage handles this incredibly difficult final piece of our marriage vows. Here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Today, we're gonna to wrap up a little series that we've been calling Love Handles. How does a God-honoring love handle marriage? It's a marriage series. i have been walking, actually, through the wedding vows. And whoever put these wedding vows together well over a thousand years ago was really, really smart. And husbands and wives have been making these promises to each other for over a millennia. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. And forsaking all others, keeping only to you, as long as we both shall live. This is not about a fairy tale. This is about real life. How do you do this stuff in a God-honoring way? When you did this, stood up in front of people, stood up there in front of God, did you mean it? When you made this promise, forsaking all others, keeping only to you, did you mean it? As time has gone by, have any of you wondered whether or not maybe it was a foolish promise? Have any of you ever even tried perhaps looking for loopholes, Forsaking all others, keeping only to you as long as we both shall live. That's how we're going to wrap this series up this morning. Last week I was goofing around a little bit. I was kind of looking on the internet for some memes and I found a couple of memes that I thought were kind of cute. Till death do us part, I'm on it. By the way, this is Julie at our wedding. She's a scary, she's a scary thing. Okay. Or I found this one. Joe was a nice man, married for over 50 years. His wife, Sarah, was left devastated after he died. A couple months later, she also died. When she reached heaven, she was looking for her husband all around. Suddenly, behind a cloud, she could see Joe with another woman. So she ran towards him. Joe, darling, Joe. Joe said, stop right there, woman, and don't you darling me. The marriage vows were clear till death do us part. You get it? That's kind of funny. Oh, I don't care if you think it's funny. I thought it was funny. Here's this one. How about this one? Till death do us part or you become a zombie and then I'm just going to shoot you in the head. All right? Any of you walking dead fans? I get that one. One more. Couple is sitting down for dinner when the husband goes to, soda, to, the, to, to the fridge for a soda. He stands in the doorway of the fridge for several seconds before saying, we're out of soda. Wife sighs and says you are absolutely helpless. She goes to the fridge moves items out of the way Pulls out a soda hands it to her husband, and she says what would you do if I were to suddenly die tomorrow? Husband says I'd start rehearsing my alibi and make sure I got acquitted (laughs) That's kind of funny you got to admit that's kind of funny Tell people a lot if you don't think it's funny. It's okay. It made me laugh What if we actually morphed the wedding vow more like to what most people or a lot of people do at least forsaking all others keeping only to you for as long as our love shall live that work or how about this one forsaking most all others keeping mostly to you as long as our most shall live try that one in a wedding ceremony and see how that goes over forsaking all others physically keeping only to you physically as long as our love shall live because we kind of think that as long as it's not physical it's not adultery right a lot of us promise more than we deliver I think a lot of folks kind of look back and they wonder whether the promise they made was wise what if you discovered that you made a bad promise should you keep it what do you think I mean, children deliver all kinds of promises and they can't deliver on them. As adults, we promise things that we can't deliver. Is this one any different? We stand there before God and men and we swear, forsaking all others, I'm going to keep only to you as long as we both shall live. Solomon was at one time considered the smartest, wisest man in the world. Here's what he says. He says, if you make a promise to God, keep it. You think it applies? Moses put it like this, he says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord that he's going to do something, or if he swears an oath that he's not going to do something, he mustn't break his word. Does that apply? Does it matter? And I suspect that this is a promise that most of us meant once. But after time, some of us get a little squirrely and you're thinking, well, what if he change your mind? Or what if the person that you married isn't the person you thought that he or she was? Or what if you no longer love the one that you promised yourself to? Wouldn't it be hypocrisy to keep your promise in that case? Or what if your heart leads you to another? Wouldn't your heart trump the vow? Because we're really good at finding loopholes, aren't we? According to an article published by CBS News last week, 93% of us Americans believe that adultery is morally wrong. Morally unacceptable. Pretty solid majority. It goes well beyond Jesus followers, doesn't it? In fact, a lot of people in our culture think it is one of the worst moral wrongs. She cheated on him. He cheated on her. Crucified the bum. They've got kids for pity's sakes. It's a sin that fires people up. And yet... It's really hard to pin down the numbers because if you research this, they're all over the map. But according to one article I found in Psychology Today, it says that 50% of our marriages are going to experience an affair. And I think they're only counting the ones that are physical. And I'm not sure they're the only ones that count with God. So we think it's wrong, and yet a lot of us go there anyway. And when we go there we usually try to convince ourselves that we're one of the exceptions to the rule, that it's not right for most people most of the time, but it's right for me this time. And in the long run, it's going to be better for my spouse and it's going to be better for my kids, right? Of course, there are some who wonder whether or not making this vow at all, forsaking all others, keeping to you till death do us part, whether it's a worthy goal at all. And for some, it's old-fashioned, it's quaint, it's prudish. A little stupid even. Some people will call it unnatural. They're going to say things like this. Forsaking all others needlessly limits your romantic and your sexual experiences. And it's only going to lead to disappointment, resentment, and heartbreak. So go for it. Or they're going to say something like, we're kind of like the rest of the animals. We weren't made by God to be monogamous. Monogamous. After all, it's just sex, isn't it? One person wrote this. People say that it's unnatural, impossible, outdated, stifling, and sometimes it is. (laughs) Love this line. Especially if your wedding anniversary now contains two digits. That sentiment's growing like a weed, by the way. Another one wrote this. I think some people are non-monogamous by orientation. God made them that way. And if they try to force themselves to be monogamous, it's going to hurt. So they would argue that till death do us part is misguided, unnatural, stifling, even impossible, at least for some. What do you think? And yet, is their alternative working? How's it working out for them? There's this Holmes-Rahi, I don't know how to pronounce that, stress scale. And basically, they measure 43 different stressors. These are the things that kind of bring stress into a lot of people's lives, right? Measures things like a serious illness, being fired, going to jail, a foreclosure, a kid living home, all the way down to the stresses of Christmas. It's kind of amazing how they do this thing, and they give them a scale on how much stress that it causes. Top three stressors are going to be the death of a spouse, divorce, and marital separation. Top three stressors. I'd actually think that you ought to reverse the first two, but they're the ones who studied it. Fact is, that gets right to the heart of this promise because people know the pain that it causes, the ripple effects when we try to convince ourselves that it's not going to happen in our case. But despite how hard it is to keep this promise, it's still a dream. There's still something inside of us we have a hunger for a happily ever after right dream of every kid dream of every person who stands up and makes this vow at a wedding and even if your marriage is struggling you've got this sense that there's got to be someone out there that it'll work this way with it's got to be more than a fairy tale And guys, for us Jesus followers, it is not just a wish, a dream, a fairy tale. It is the will of our God. Do you believe that? It's what he meant. It's what he wants. It's where he's trying to lead us if we're willing to follow. It's not hard to establish. Just look in the old covenant. This is the old covenant we had with God. Ten Commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Pretty straightforward. And in case you missed that one, kind of reinforced by commandment number 10, you shall, shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Not a lot of loopholes. And a lot of folks say, well, that's old covenant, right? That's not what we're under any longer as Jesus followers. Then you go to the new covenant, and Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already done it in his heart, which means... Don't go there. He actually raises the bar. But how is it possible to live that purely in our world? I mean, can anyone really live to that kind of a standard? On the other hand, because it's hard, should we lower the bar? Because we know it's going to be difficult, should we say, I promise to forsake you most of the time? Or till our love doth depart? That's not going to work. So how do we Jesus followers pursue that goal? Let's start here. Now, there are some people here in the room that have kind of a legal background, and you're going to probably quibble with my definitions. I don't care. Legal people like quibbling. But a lot of people treat their promise in a wedding like a contract. Contract is an agreement that stays in effect as long as both parties deliver, right? kind of based on mutual distrust here's what I'm going to do as long as you keep up your end of the deal and if you don't keep up your end of the deal here are the consequences contract is about protecting yourself it's kind of like a prenup it's basically rooted in somebody's distrust a marriage vow is not a contract it's a covenant the language of a marriage vow is not contractual it's covenantal Covenant is not based on distrust, it's based on commitment. It's not about protecting my interests, it's about protecting hers. We don't talk about covenants as much today as we talk about contracts, but in the Bible times, they talked about them a lot. In fact, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. The word testament just means covenant. We've got an old covenant between God and men, and we've got a new covenant between God and men put into effect by Jesus through the cross, right? Covenant is an unconditional, binding agreement between two people in the presence of God, or even with God. And sometimes in the Old Testament, or the, the Old Testament times, yeah, it was they'd seal a covenant with a very weird but a very graphic ceremony. In Hebrew, the word for covenant is the word berith, which literally means to cut. And so they'd use the language: they're going to cut covenant and the way that they would do that sometimes is that they'd take an animal and they'd literally slice it in half cut it right down the middle and they'd separate the two halves and the people would pass between the two halves basically saying this if I break my covenant with you may God do to me what I have just done to this animal may he cut me in half now that would kind of add a little spice to a wedding wouldn't it cut an animal in half put a couple of people pass through it that's humor probably won't work in a marriage it's a promise to surrender my rights and to protect yours in a marriage it's not about me anymore about what I want, what I like, what I feel I'm committed to you, what you want, what you think what you like, what you feel and if you think about it you made a covenant, if you're a Jesus follower you made a covenant with God too, right? to live for what he wants, what he likes What he feels, irrespective sometimes of what you want, like, and feel. Julie and I made a secondary covenant with each other. What our spouse wants, what our spouse needs, what our spouse feels. But it's such a hard promise to keep. You know why? Because there is this ravenous self inside of us nudging us to follow, not God. Not even our own minds, but our heart. And I'm telling you guys, if you follow your heart, it's going to take you to some very, very, very bad places. And I know you hear that poppycock all the time, don't you? You got to follow your heart. Got to follow your heart. And they say that like it's true. It's not. It's a lie from hell. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy people around you. It'll tear you away from your God. You buy that? Now, maybe you don't agree with the uh, prophet Jeremiah, but in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, he said this. He says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And you're thinking, well, that's harsh. Is it true of you? See, a lot of times we don't see it in ourselves, but we can see it in other people, Right? But if there's any truth to this at all, why in the world will you insist on following your heart? What sense does that make? Jesus put it like this He said, For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Do you recognize any of those in you from your heart? Guys, if there's any truth at all to what Jesus says, why would you insist on following your heart? What sense does that make for us Jesus followers? Now, I know sometimes we buy into some profanities. Profanities like this. I'd never really loved you. You ever heard that one? You know what it means? It means you're either self-deluded or you're a liar. Isn't that cruel? That's mean. Right? But if there's any truth in it at all, shame on you. Love is a choice we make. What you're saying is, I have never chosen to love you the way I promised I would. I've never kept my word. Or we buy into this profanity, but I don't love you anymore. As if love is something you fall out of or fall into, kind of like falling into a ditch or falling out of your bed, right? Guys, we're not animals. We were made in the image of God. Of all of the creatures on this earth, we are the only ones that do not have to follow our heart. We can follow God instead if we choose. Or we buy into this profanity, but I've got a right to be happy. Don't you love that one? I have a right to be happy, don't I? And if, and if I have to pursue my happiness, that gives me the right to crush yours and your security and your hopes and your dreams and I have a right to pursue my happiness even if it means that I have to disobey my God my Savior and my Lord even if I admit that the happiness that I will find in my path will never come up to the happiness that God wants to give to me see all of these profanities come from following the heart instead of guarding the heart which is how Solomon, the smartest man in the world at one point, that's how he put it, guard your heart above all else. Do you know why? Because it determines the course of your life. He says, don't follow your heart, guard it. Guard it. Watch what goes in. Watch what comes out. You're not an animal. Of all of the creatures of the earth, you are the only ones that God could say to guard your heart. You're the only ones who don't have to follow your heart. It's not about doing what feels right. It's about choosing what is right as determined by him. As determined by him. So let's get down to where the rubber hits the road. How do we do this? Forsaking all others, no matter what I feel. Forsaking all others, keeping myself only for you till death do us part. How do you keep your word, your covenant? Because eventually our world and eventually your heart are going to try to get you to undermine or are going to try to get you to break that promise. So how do we do it? First thing, I think we've got to understand how the temptation works. And Second is we've got to nip it in the bud. Understand how it works and nip it in the bud because the further you go down this road of temptation, the harder it's going to be to get it stopped. First of all, understand what's happening. Here it is. Guys, most guys and ladies don't go into a marriage planning to violate their vows. Now, I know a few do. There are a few who think that forsaking all others is quaint and unnatural. So the more the merrier, right? But good men and good women don't plan to violate their vows. It's almost as if there really is a tempter. (laughs) there is, who's trying to draw us in, and he takes us down this path that we need to understand. It usually begins with someone that we're close to. Maybe we work in the same office, maybe our kids go to the same ball team, or maybe we're in the same life group at church, and we have so much in common that it's uncanny. And at some point we do this, for some reason we start comparing that person to our spouse, He's so spiritual, or she really takes care of herself, or he's so thoughtful, not like the twit I married. And when you start paying attention to someone, it's almost inevitable that eventually they're going to start paying attention to you back. And it's nice. They start giving you attention. They start giving you the encouragement and the value that you're not feeling from home anymore. He understands how I feel. She admires me and thinks that I'm special. It feels good. Ever been there? Is it adultery yet? At some point you start actually looking forward to being with that other person or maybe you just start thinking about them when they're not around. Maybe you're getting dressed in the morning or driving to work or you're daydreaming and your mind drifts to them. Is it adultery yet? And then sometimes they're the lies or maybe just shading the truth. Perhaps your spouse gets suspicious. and So you have to pretend that you're not smitten. And if they probe about it, you hedge. Have you ever, ever lied to a spouse to hide your feelings for another? And at first it's platonic, platonic non-physical. But oftentimes it starts to drift. Instead of just a glance, the eyes lock and linger. Instead of just a touch, the hand lingers. Is it adultery yet? Let me tell you this. Most people who are doing it don't think so. Most spouses do. So do I. And then it starts to get more personal. They begin confiding in each other, sharing their fears and their dreams, drinking in each other's understanding and comfort. Words that belong to a spouse or are given to another. Is it adultery yet? Usually they don't think so because it's not physical, which is the line, they tell themselves. And as the emotions get deeper, so do the touches. Now, an arousing touch or squeeze or hug. Not intimate yet, but it's heading there and even the most callous among us would admit that lines are being crossed maybe there are special little messages special little gifts encouraging notes or texts if you can figure out a way to keep them hidden and still for many good people the denials because you know what the further down this path you go the more irrational that you get you've seen it in others We're quite skilled at fooling ourselves into thinking there's really nothing wrong. We can be so stupid. But by this time, we've already played out in our minds all of our spouse's inadequacies. We've convinced ourselves that we really do need this new person in our life. After all, I have a right to be happy, don't I? And I'm never, not quite sure I ever really loved my wife. At least like I love this one. Is it adultery yet? Even if you haven't gone all the way physically? And when they get this far, getting out of it pretty much takes an act of God. And what used to be one, we promised, now becomes two. And with another, two become one. And nearly always, not always, but nearly always, there follows the pain and the shame and the guilt which overwhelms you and those that you promise to love. And nearly always, there also follows the distance that you feel from your God. And nearly always, there also follows this distance you feel from the people of God that you used to be close to, because now they feel like a nest of fleas in your den of silk, And so often, if you try to hang on to God, you have to move to another group of Jesus followers where you don't feel so judged. And eventually, I hope, and usually, there comes a sense that maybe we have settled for way less than God's dream. Not because your new passion is inferior to your old one, but because you sense that maybe you blew it. Because we were created in the image of God. Which means, of all of the creatures of this earth, we are the only ones who do not have to follow our hearts. And when we learn to live for someone who's bigger than ourselves, when we learn to love for something and someone other than ourselves, when we break the grip of self, we grow into something magnificent. In fact, we grow more God like in the image of God as we were created to be. Guys in a nutshell that's kind of the some of the steps of the path. And it's an intoxicating path. It's a powerful path. So how do you pull it off forsaking all others keeping only to you till death do us part? Right off the bat huh, as soon as you recognize you're on the path, get off. Nip it in the bud sooner the better better. no matter what your heart is trying to tell you it is not about trying to figure out the line so you can step up to the line and not step across if you're looking for the line you're going to cross it guys our passions are stronger than our wills Jesus said our spirit is willing but our flesh is weak if we start down that path it's going to be nearly impossible to stop So don't start. And if you're on that path, stop. Run away. More specifically, I'm going to give you four prescriptions. Are you ready? First prescription is for those who are not married yet. Because this counts for you guys too. Fight for premarital purity. Fight for premarital purity. Our ability to be faithful in marriage will be shaped by our desire for purity before marriage. Did you know that? Apostle Paul says, flee sexual immorality. That's a grab bag word that includes singles as well as married folks. It's about porn, sexting, heavy petting, premarital sex, friends with benefits, cohabiting. Save it for marriage. Sex is God's gift to marriage. In marriage, it's safe. It's pure. It builds up instead of tearing down. I'm going to give you two ideas. I don't know if you've thought about these. Okay? here's idea number one immorality before marriage is another word for premarital adultery when you singles commit sexual sins today you're cheating on the person that later you will marry you're giving away your marriage partner's exclusive rights to your body and I know that's a new idea for some of you guys but I think it's God honoring and listen when we choose to live outside God's standards before marriage we're actually conditioning ourselves to violate God's standards inside marriage we're shaping our character if you keep on giving in to sin as a single it's going to be that much harder to say no to sin sin when you're married and it's going to tear you apart and your kids apart and the one you promised to love forever apart and it could even rip you away from God so fight for premarital purity and it will be a war Because our world is going to think that you're weird and the temptation is going to be incredibly strong. Prescription two. Keep fighting for purity within your marriage. Guys, sometimes we wallow around in the dirt and we wonder why it's so hard to stay clean, right? Apostle Paul says flee sexual immorality. That's for those of us in marriage too. And it's going to be hard because it's all around us. The internet has brought porn into virtually every home. The number of of us who are getting caught up in it is absolutely staggering. Gotta fight it. And Guys, if you're struggling with porn, there are porn filters that will not only block the sites, but it'll send a message to a friend telling you where you've been so they can kick your tail. And maybe we need to do a little more screening of our TV habits and our movie habits. Some shows are just bad, and if you're struggling with temptation, why do you immerse yourself in that temptation? And this one is going to sound odd, I know, but I think we have to be careful with our other sex friendships. And they're not bad. I mean, ladies should have some really good guy friends, and guys should have some real good lady friends. But it's not wise to make them your closest friend and your confidant without your husband or your wife there. It's too easy for your heart to drift. Our hearts can drift towards anybody. And if you sense yourself taking even the first steps down that path, run away, build a wall. You see, we can easily develop feelings for someone other than our spouse, and we can choose not to. We can choose to stop it, to run away, to build a wall when we feel that tug. We do not have to follow our hearts. Prescription three this one's huge. You got to keep investing in God. You know why? In the face of sexual temptation, most people are prone to push God away, it's what they do. But if you want victory in your battle with sin, you're going to need God. Your temptation is going to be stronger than you are. Your will to sin will be stronger than your will to be pure. We cannot defeat our own sin. He can. We've got to stay connected to God. We've got to stay connected with other Jesus followers and keep us accountable. We've got to respond if our God convicts us of sin because we're going to need his strength to win this war. When people start down this path towards adultery, they nearly always start drifting away from God. You keep pursuing him, and he'll keep you straight and pure. Last one. This one's good. You got to keep investing in your marriage. I love the way Craig Groeschel put it. We used it a week or two ago. I forget when. He says, when the grass starts looking greener on the other side, mow your lawn, right? Tend your lawn, Bible puts it like this it says rejoice in the wife of your youth a loving doe a graceful deer may her breast satisfy you always may you ever be intoxicated with her love and some of you guys are kind of thinking a little bit to yourself a loving doe a graceful deer maybe a few decades ago have you seen her lately some of you ladies are thinking a powerful buck buck, a majestic stag (laughs) look at him his parts don't fit together like they used to But the point is this. Keep drinking from your own well. Keep watering your own lawn. Any two serious, good Jesus followers can build a powerfully good marriage for a lifetime if they keep investing in their marriages. Okay, let me wrap it up with this. Forsaking all others, keeping only to you as long as we both shall live. If you're married long enough, You're going to face the temptation to violate that vow, that covenant. I'd be surprised if there are many in this room who haven't faced that temptation. I'd be surprised if there aren't many in this room who haven't succumbed to that temptation. If you've succumbed, there's grace. Our God is amazing with grace. Ask his forgiveness. When he forgives you, receive it. And don't wallow in what he has forgiven you for. It's about who you are now and how you're moving forward, not where you've been. But if you're battling these sins now, some of you guys are battling it. Some of you guys are losing that battle. Some of you guys are on that path. Some of you guys are quite a ways down that path. What I'm going to ask you to do is hard run away from the person who's pulling you away from your God and your family and then run back to your God and run back to your family you by that some of us may need to do some confessing to God this morning and you may, may even need to have a conversation with your spouse a little later on there may be some in this room that need some strength maybe some repentant which means to turn around and try to go the other way There may be some in this room that need some prayer. You need some help. I'd love you to find one of our staff. Vern's right down here. We've got other staff around. Some of our elders are close. They'd love to come and talk and pray with you. We're going to hang down here after the service is over during the Lord's Supper time. Just come and talk to us. We'll take you in there and we'll pray with you. And then we're going to invite you to this table. Guys, this is a table of grace. This table is a reminder of the covenant that God made with us through his blood. And this table is a reminder of the covenant we made with him to accept him as the Lord and the Savior of our life. This is a time to reconnect with your God and through that to reconnect with the family of God. Why don't you pray with me please. Father, we're so grateful for your grace because there are sins that we struggle with. There are temptations that we battle. Without your help, we wouldn't have a prayer. Without your grace, we would be drowning in our pasts. Give us the courage to be people of God now to stand tall for you now, to walk your path now, to find the life, the abundant life that you came to give us now. We love you dearly. For Jesus, the sacrifice that he that He made to allow us to be in this room, we give you our thanks. May this be a time when we reconnect with you and with each other. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.